Hello, Belinda. Hi, Omar. So we are now doing our live series. We have guests. So this week, what are we exploring? This week, we're diving into our maternal relationships and how we can deepen and foster that uh, as we approach Mother's Day coming up in early May. So did you know that more phone calls are made on Mother's Day than any other day of the year? What? And yeah, so this is one of those moments where everybody remembers like, gotta call mom. There's no missing out on calling moms on Mother's Day. And, you know, in the history of of Mother's Day, it goes all the way back to ancient Greeks and Romans. Hmm. Um, and so it was festivals honoring the mother goddesses, Rhea and Cybele. But here in the U.S., it, it also goes back to the late 1800s. And in fact, I think what I there was this one woman, Anne Reeves Jarvis, who in 1868 organized Mother's Friendship Day, which was meant to gather former Union and Confederate soldiers to promote reconciliation. And so it's really just been this sort of powerful way from ancient Greeks and goddesses to, you know, our own country and healing um, to all the phone calls that are made, you know, uh, on Mother's Day of just being like, hey, Ma, appreciate you. And uh, and I'm sure we'll touch on this at some point, but I wouldn't be surprised if you make a, a, a Mother Earth reference in today's show as well. <laughs> well, I mean, that's connecting back to last week's focus on uh, just honoring the earth with Arlene. And, you know, when I was th- sitting with this theme of uh, maternal relationships in our lives, um, you know, the, the gratitude blooming card that came up for me was the peony, the theme of healing. You know, it's this is a flower that has been honored in Chinese and Japanese traditions and other Asian countries for for a very long time, for centuries. And, um, you know, when you look at the peony, it's just uh, so gentle, so many layers of the petals. It's a medicinal plant as well. And in many ways, it's kind of a metaphor for um, just the cycle of life, you know, mothers bring us into the world and through this physical process. And then there's this beautiful relationship that starts to cultivate. And sometimes that's messy and challenging and, and there's so much growth involved. I think many times it's not as pretty as it looks like the peony flower, um, but it's deeply healing in, in some way. Um, so it just made me think of this flower and, um, this theme of, uh, the gratitude blooming card deck. So Omar, I'm going to start with you, uh, before we introduce our special guest, tell us about your relationship with your mother or your maternal line. And this, you know, I, I, one of the most memorable podcasts, honestly, for me still is the episode where you talked about your grandmother and that relationship. So I'd love to just kind of weave back in and and reconnect around that and your mother and what's that relationship been like over time? Uh, you know, I I'm just flooded with memories all of a sudden and I love how you talked about not just Mother's Day um but the mother's line. 
And, you know, immediately I went back three generations, you know, to my great grandmother who, you know, first came to this country. And, and I think I shared, you know, early on that, um, she was born in China and actually had her feet bound and it wasn't her parents. It was actually the servants in the house. It was like job security. They did it while her parents were away. And so it was a way for them to keep their job um, because now uh, she couldn't move around as well. And so and I actually have her embroidered shoe, which fits in the palm of my hand because her foot was so small. But yet she, you know, moved to this country. She had like seven kids, you know, she like actually didn't let that stop her. And so you just, I think, I think of moms, I'm like, yo, you cannot stop a mom. Right? <laughs> like, And the other thing that you said as you were introducing was, you know, mothers bring us into this world. And I, I remember as a, my mom didn't say this, but I grew up sort of around black culture. And I remember other moms saying, I brought you into this world and I'll take you out of it when you were in trouble. (laughs) (laughs) So like, you know, I think in motherhood, there is obviously just an incredible amount of generosity and giving, but I also have a sense of like amazing amount of discipline and, you know, rigor. Um, And for me, like, you know, my mom, um, by and large, a single mother. And so, you know, I, I just, yeah, I grew up really looking at my mom as, as someone who just did everything. Um, and then at one, at some point we moved in with my grandmother as well when I was about 10 years old. And, um, so then I, I really did get to sort of live in that maternal line, um, with having my, my mom and my grandmother really, uh, raise me. And so, you know, I have a, a deep appreciation for the sacrifices um, that mothers make. And that, you know, I think she just would make sure I had what I needed. Um, and even when we didn't have that much. And so I always was um, taken care of. I always had a roof over my head and, you know, um, food on my plate. But I also knew that things were lean, but I never. I never felt scarcity, you know, and I think part of why I never felt scarcity because I always felt an abundant amount of love. And so while materially, you know, I would hear no a lot. (laughs) 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 And, um, I, I never felt like I wasn't enough or I wasn't worthy. And so, you know, I, you know, appreciate, yeah, like I said, the sacrifices um, that going back to my great, great, my great grandmother, right? And just leaving a country um, and and then what she had to do. And then my grandmother, who um, was a chemist, she went to Berkeley and like studied chemistry. And so I just can't even imagine at that time, you know, as a Chinese woman in chemistry, you know, and and then went on to like run a hotel and, you know, just like did all kinds of things. And then really, I think in her later years, really got to become an artist that she always actually felt. Um, and so just, yeah, 
so many memories. I appreciate you uh, bringing that up. And and before you ask, because I know you, like, where in your body do you feel that, Omar? Um, I feel it right in the center of my chest, like right in front, you know, just that love and just that warmth. I can really feel it in your voice too. And I uh, felt very um, soft in my heart as I was hearing you. And it's just so tender, that relationship. It's, it's, it's precious. Well, and it's beautiful now having my own kids and, um, you know, and, and being a dad and, you know, and my wife, um, and I see, you know, the sacrifices that she makes, you know, even with a dad around, I think we all just do the best that we can. And so, you know, the, those sacrifices, and I, you know, I'm having two daughters who may become mothers someday. And so what is that example of both having a father um, around and who shows up and, you know, someone who respects his wife and, you know, what does that modeling look like as well? What does partnership really look like? I'm just really um, grateful and appreciative of just also the ways in which you're maternal as a father. And um, I just feel that in uh, getting to know you and hearing the stories of how you relate with your girls. And in many ways, this is, um, yeah, like we, when I think of the maternal care, it, it is that kind of nurturing and um, that's within all of us. So that's beautiful. I mean, I must say for me, in terms of my own relationship with my maternal line, um, it's been a major evolution. You know, I, I was, you know, I love that we have immigrant stories to connect around, you know, moving to the U.S. when I was five from Taiwan, you know, my mother barely spoke English. My dad was the one that was getting his PhD in computer science and my mom took this leap of faith to to bring us, me and my sister, with my dad and not knowing any English. She basically was, um, I remembered that she was making like a dollar an hour caretaking mm-hmm. for an elderly disabled woman. And that was the only job she could get. And, you know, to go from being a high school science teacher in Taiwan, you know, pretty safely middle class to you know, this really kind of hard physical labor. Um, I'm, it took a lot of humility. And so um, I just feel a lot of gratitude for that um, sacrifice that she made. And she never complained. She just like kept on going. And, and I think some of that survival, um, you know, instinct was something that I resented a lot as a child, you know, growing up in the U.S. where you're just learning to like be your own person, you know, which is not something in in Asian countries it's valued as much. It's all about, you know, how do you cooperate? You know, in the U.S. it's all about how do you, you know, be your own person. And, you know, that spirit um, sometimes would clash with my mother's gentle, loving, um, way, but also uh, a sharpness there where she was like, we are survivors. We hustle. We, you know, we are resilient. And so that meant, you know, also being successful in a certain academic way that sometimes was hard. And, um, would you say tiger mom? You know, people kept asking me about that book (laughs) and finally I read it and I was like, oh my gosh, it's so 
like traumatic, you know, to be loved in that way where it's like such high expectations. And, um, and I was always envious of my European American friends who just had like, like they were friends with their moms. And I was like, didn't have that. And I think I always wanted that to happen. And it was interesting, like in now, like for, you know, as I'm in my forties, I've seen the softening of the relationship where now she is more of like my friend, you know, and I, I, and, and we get to talk about real life stuff. And I, have to say, you know, having the practice of picking cards with her every week, there's a new window into who she is as a, as a human, not just my mom, that has helped me kind of let go of some of the struggles of the past and see her as a person, as a, like a wise person who's also a friend. Um, so it's a testament to change being possible and just time being, you know, so healing in that relationship. I appreciate uh, the gentleness um, from that hard sort of tiger mom, you know, and I think nowadays they call them snow plows where they're like kind of going in front of the kid and like trying to like pave the way forward. And, um, and like, how do you find that balance between letting your kid make mistakes. Um, I think that's really sort of the challenge nowadays is where is there room for error? Um, and how do we actually hold both those high expectations and make room for, yeah, like it's okay if you, you know, don't ace everything. And even if you do ace everything that it's this, that's not going to make everything easy either. You know, I've uh, been hosting just recently, starting a Twitter spaces every morning and pulling a gratitude blooming card. And this morning I pulled the gentleness card and it was just a great reminder that, you know, I think there's that old school mentality of like, everything has to be hard. Everything, you have to work for everything. Everything has to be a sacrifice. And you think about like, oh, we need hard skills. And, you know, like, and we don't value quote unquote soft skills or what I, what Simon Sinek um, likes to say, there's not really soft skills. There's only human skills. And so, you know, I feel like this is the sort of transition that we're making, which is like, how do we value human skills? Um, and that those are essential and, and, and that it's okay to have a little bit of gentleness, even if it's sometimes a difficult world. Hmm. It's beautiful. In many ways, uh, the maternal feminine energy is so good at that. You know, the human side, the caring for others. And I'm really grateful to have this time to honor that today. And I'm excited to have um, guests, uh, beautiful guests joining us. Uh, Raj Escondo, who is a dear friend of mine and someone who is a healer and education um, leader and um, someone who has been um, using the land in Mount Shasta as a healing space for uh, mothers and daughters. So I was really inspired to bring Raj uh, to this conversation because she's actually hosted several um, mothers and daughter mother and daughter gatherings on the land 
really to uh, help with collective healing. And, um, and Raj, you come from a multicultural background as well. So love for you to, you know, introduce yourself and just, you know, what's your relationship been like with your mother and what inspired you to then hold space for other people around this? Yeah. Thanks, V. Oh, wow. Where to begin? <laughs> Relationships with moms are so complicated. <laughs> and I laugh at the same time while I'm saying that, right? <laughs> um, we laugh so we don't cry. <laughs> yeah. I did already. <laughs> right? And there, there is like laughter to it. Um, I watched Everything Everywhere All at Once yesterday. Have either of you watched it mm, yet? Or heard not yet. I've heard it's amazing though. Yes, it is amazing. Um, and I, it feels so timely that I just watched that movie yesterday and we're having this conversation today. Because there's something, I'm going to get like, go out there for let's first go, and let's then go there. get more <laughs> specific. But there is truly something so spiritual about our relationships with our moms. It reminds me of, um, I, I, I saw on the internet somewhere, you know, that, um, you know, I, I was already within my grandmother when she was having my mom, you know, like. When my mom was a baby inside my grandmother, she had all of her eggs in there and I was one of those eggs, right? So I feel like that connection's pretty epic. Um, and also just kind of, I remember I was on a, so many layers of who I am. Um, I was on a delegation trip in Colombia where we were um, really experiencing and witnessing the violence that that country had experienced. And one of our um, hosts were talking about the umbilical cord, right? And the umbilical cord connecting you to your mother and how we all have a belly button and how we're connected in that way, even before we could, we had a sense of cognition or even our own bodily autonomy. And to me, I think there's something like for me, that is the heart of relationship to your mother. It is so much more than words could embody or like even my physical body can hold. And it's a journey, I think, in that way, too, that that connection brings us along. You know, um, like B, you said you're I am a daughter of multicultural <laughs> experiences, so I was born in the Philippines. My mom's Filipino. Um, she was, she's a, she is a nurse. And at that time she was an OR nurse or an operating room nurse. And she had been working in Saudi Arabia for five years when she got pregnant with me. Um, and my dad isn't really a part of my picture, you know? So there's also kind of that single mother trope story that we can insert here. Um, but I think part of my Filipino cultural background is that I wasn't raised just by my mom, that my Lola or my grandmother was a huge part of my upbringing and also my aunt, who I also call my mommy Oring. So like really giving her that title of mother um, is all a part of my story because when I was one, my mom actually um, immigrated or was uh, petitioned to immigrate to the U.S. as um, 
a nurse at a retirement home. So that's very, you know, like political, political societal context of, you know, the forces that are beyond us that impact our relationships with our moms. Um, And then I was raised in the Philippines by my mommy Oring and my Lola for until I was six. And then I rejoined my mom. You know, so there's so many things there around what was my relationship with my mom like at the age of one, right? And a very traumatic separation from her. Um, That was also, I also received the deep healing balm of the love of my Lola and my mommy Oring. So um, my Lola had eight kids. My mom was the youngest uh, my mommy Oring had three kids, all boys, one year um, apart. And so I feel like I was the recipient of their deep learning about love and how to really raise and love children. You know, I, I don't know what it's like to be a mother, but I've seen my friends like raising kids is not a joke. It's no, not. it is no joke. Yeah. There would be no gratitude practice, but for having kids, I'll tell you that right oh now. It looks so hard. And, you know, like, even for myself, I struggle with giving myself that compassion of, you know, it's okay to make mistakes. It's okay to be who you are, right? I can't imagine the strength and will it takes to to give that space to a new being who's literally trying to figure it out and reacting to everything in this chaotic world that we live in. So my 11-year-old, we last week said, Dad, is it hard being a parent? <laughs> I was like, absolutely. But I would have it no other way, you know. So, yes, uh, they sense these things. Yeah. Also, the wisdom of kids, too, right? It's, like, so epic. Um, but, yeah, so I think I think there's there's deep, when when we talk about the matrilineal line that, you know, I imagine the kids who are raised by queer parents and um, that deviate from this idea that everyone has a mother and a father. And um, I feel so connected to that because, you know, I grew up with three moms, no dad, and, and there's so many formations of love that I was so, I was imbibed with that really brought so much peace to my heart as a as a child growing up, not that I didn't have my own challenges with, you know, just growing up and being an immigrant in the United States, starting off really working class and, and moving, you know, like I think when I immigrated to the United States, I was six and I was just with my mom and, you know, she was a nurse. She worked seven days a week, maybe pulled overtime, 12, 16 hour shifts, four times a week. Like, my mom worked <laughs> to provide food on the table, a roof over our heads. And so in my child mind, you know, I was we were a team and my job was to do so well at school and to, you know, really honor the sacrifices that she was making through my own effort. And I admittedly, I think I took that <laughs> probably a little too far. It wasn't like my mom was a tiger mom by any means. I think she really, she, like all of my, my mom, my Lola, my mommy Oring, I think 
they all had this profound embodiment of love that was so accepting, so gentle, so open-hearted that as a child in the United States, you know, what I saw was like, oh, that makes them vulnerable, right? That makes them weak. And now as an adult, I see how much more courageous they are than what I had given them credit for and how it's actually so much harder to be soft in this world, to be accepting in this world. To be human. To be human, (laughs) right? (laughs) Well, I appreciate you also acknowledging mother-like figures, right? And I think it's so important that, you know, we break from that traditional hierarchical point of view um, and what a quote unquote traditional family looks like. Cause the reality is that there are so few, if any traditional families and that, that in and of itself um, setting that expectation is causing probably pain, just that alone. Right. And it doesn't mean that it's then therefore chaos right? No, it just means that it's more of like an ecosystem, right? That there are these different people that, you know, are part of our air and our sun and our soil, um, you know, that really help us grow in that environment. And so, you know, I think really trying to define new metaphors, um, you know, is, is, is what I'm hearing you saying. Yeah. I mean, right on. I think there's, I think the thing I've, I'm learning about mothers and to tie it back be to your question about what, what about this Mother's Day retreat thing is that, you know, moms don't love perfectly, right? Like just because you are, you become a mother doesn't mean that you know how to, you know, raise a child or love them or really support them in ways that, that best fits this specific individual and that, you know, in, in these Mother's Day retreats, what I saw was that these moms and my mom were really so hard on themselves for the things that they weren't able to do, even though I completely trusted that they were all doing their absolute best. So I have I have a lot of different questions. One, I just, I'm going to do a slight reframe in that I think mothers love the best they can. Yeah. Right. And it it's so it's not that they don't love, you know, perfectly. It's really about they love the best they can. And when we can sort of see that people are trying the best they can and and that we all fall short, you know, like I still love my dad, even he fell real short, you know, and, but that doesn't mean he wasn't trying, you know. So Raj, I'm so curious. I've heard you say this a couple of times and I love to recap. You know, you've done this for two years. You did it in two different retreats. What did you learn? It's Because then it's like, it's not just like you and your mom, you know, doing your own thing. Now, all of a sudden you're in this microscope where you're seeing everybody else and their mom and then the daughters and the moms and all these like dynamics. And I'm assuming not, the moms don't all know each other either. I mean, it's the daughters that know each other. So what did you see or notice, or, you know, when you were watching this whole thing kind of unfold? 
So I learned so many things, Belinda. Um, where to even start? I think the first thing that I really, that the first retreat really impressed upon me is that moms are moms, right? It was like me and my fierce ass friends that were like, mom, who are you as a woman? You know, like we're all here to explore our womanhood and, you know, connect with that. And they're all of the mom's immediate reaction was like, I will always be your mom. (laughs) (laughs) My identity. I'm a mother. At the end of the day, yeah, I am a mom. Mm. And I think the most powerful invitation that the Mother's Day retreat created was that our moms got to meet our friends. You know, they got to be in this held environment where they could let some of their walls down. And I think that opened up a newer realization that, you know, we are their daughters, but also we are also women, adults, and that they can soften a bit and they can invite themselves into that exploration of who am I as a woman and a mother, right? But that mother piece never leaves. It never becomes not central. And for me in that place, I was um, probably in my mid or late 20s at that point. And I was in that part of my healing where I'm like, I am a badass independent woman that is healing and, you know, very much this um, Western individual self-care oriented form of healing that was just me centered, that was individual centered. And being there in the room with other moms, my friends, and seeing my friends hold mirrors up to each other and their moms really taught me that oh, this healing thing isn't just me. And it doesn't happen on my time in the ways that I thought it would happen, that there is truly something organic and um, unprescribed about it. And then I think in the second (laughs) retreat, um, our dear friend Nyad came and joined. And she, Nyad, just to give some background on Nyad, she is such a magical playful character and she actually um rounded the moms up into uh how would i explain it a talent show of sorts a costume party a dance party um at some point the moms had fairy wings and uh fans like kind of like burning man-esque fake set of boobs it was wild it was so wild (laughs) And I also learned that, you know, moms like to have fun and they're really (laughs) like true, wild, raucous fun. (laughs) And I don't think I would have seen that side of my mom in any other context. And that that in itself was healing for me to see my mom just being silly, playful, irreverent, had a different whole name, (laughs) which I'm forgetting right now. but yeah, I mean, all of that is just so complex, so alive. And I, I can easily say that holding those two Mother's Day retreats are the top two things I have ever done in my life thus far. Wow. And so you have a master's degree in higher education and organizational change from UCLA. And 
you're putting on fake boobs now. Um, like, what is that sort of transition? <laughs> like, I, I, I under like there that was a a leap of faith. But was there anything in particular that helped sort of in this transition? And I think part of what um, Belinda and I are trying to do is uh, one of our our mantras is like the best practice is the one that works for you. Right. And then so often in this space, we're like, oh, this is what self-care looks like. And it's, you know, and it's individualistic and it's on your own um, or like, hey, you know, you need to meditate and you need to meditate this amount of time every day. Every, you know, journaling looks exactly like this. You follow this sort of, you know, three things every day. And I'm omnivorous in my <laughs> wellness practices. And so like, I'm like, yo, I'm going to just try whatever works for me, but not everybody sort of is comfortable and likes a little bit more structure. And so from somebody who literally studied, you know, organizational change and structure, you know, to then really finding these other more personal practices, I would love for you to share a little bit of that um, with us as well. I think that when you begin your own healing journey and you really start to get silent and listen to listen and see things just as they are the mind concept the concepts of the mind start to kind of fall apart right so that i definitely went to ucla with the purpose of getting a degree from ucla right like that ucla is a thing <laughs> And then when I started getting really silent, practicing, whether it's meditation or pulling a gratitude blooming card, that it became clear to me that this master's degree, yes, did impart upon me some really great learning that I use from time to time, but that it was so far from everything that would keep me safe or propel me forward in the world, that that was actually that piece of beginning and creating a life for myself that felt good and felt meaningful to me was actually that the answers are within and that I can trust myself and that I can learn and fail. Um, I feel like that's, that's the practice there is to, you know, some like, like I'm not a journaler. I journal only in times of crisis when I really can't turn to any of my other practices. Um, and I'm really grateful to have a journal on hand whenever I get into those places, but that, you know, it's whatever practice can bring you back into a place of softness to receive whatever the wisdom or the reality that can be hard to confront is. And so spaces like Pistia, the gratitude blooming deck, I think is just such an accessible way to pause to notice. I just recently read um, in something very different, a Wired magazine, <laughs> this incredible quote from this tech philosopher, Walter Ong. And he said, sight isolates, sound incorporates. I'll say that again. Sight isolates, sound incorporates. And so I love when you just said that it was that pausing to receive and then that really listening, right? Like you said, the silence, it was the silence. And well, what is, well, what does silence really mean? Well, silence just means that you're like listening and you're kind of like quieting the mind. And, you know, and I think 
so often we rely on sight and there's so much bias in sight. Like we, we call it like literally we turn a blind eye, right? Like implicit bias is all about what are those biases that we can't even see that we have, right? And the, and our language is around that. Like, and, and we lean so heavily in our culture like, Oh, what's your vision, right? Like, you know, I, you know, like, what is that you're looking for? Um, and so, you know, what does it mean to then close your eyes, listen, and really then receive? And that really allows you to, uh, and when I, I hear the word incorporate, what I really am hearing is Lord integrate, right? How do I integrate and be sort of my whole self? Um, and that includes warts and all, right? Like, it's like, no, my imperfection is part of my gift, right? And, and this is not something that's, I'm not loving wrong. I'm just loving the best I can. Um, and I also know that I can love more. And so what does that mean? I mean, I know that as a, a parent, I remember early on, and this is when I just had one, uh, child. And so I remember one night I was like, I woke up at like two in the morning and my heart literally was just like, oh my God, my heart needs to actually grow. Like, I was like, if I'm going to do this parenting thing, like my, my heart actually has to somehow grow bigger. And so I just remember that feeling of just like, okay, like be bigger heart, you know? Um, And, you know, it was just like one of those moments where it's like my container at the time was not big enough. And so I had to some ways like shed some of that skin to shed that sort of like, this is who I am so that I could be something better and bigger, um, you know, with more love. Wow. That's so beautiful, Omar. Yeah. I mean, I think that really lands with me. And I mean, we don't know each other very well, but I feel like that's also a testament to your own practice, right? That, that awareness of, my heart needs to get bigger. Cause I don't know, some, I guess when I think about that for the mother's day retreats that I experienced, I don't know if the moms there had that same level of self inquiry or even space to do that. Cause you know, if you talk to my mom, she will be like, your birth gave me a purpose in life. <laughs> and as a child of that, that is really intense to experience. Um, you know, like the onus of that and, um, yeah. And so in many ways, I think I became a walking extension of my mom's heart. Um, and that did help her heart grow bigger. Mm. And I think I also had to do my own healing to, to say like, yes, that can be true for my mom. And that I also don't need to put on myself the pressures that that responsibility or that existing, that thing that that exists has the, like, I don't need to take in the impact of that, that I can really honor my mom's sacrifices, my mommy oarings and my Lola's sacrifices by really living my life out loud and, you know, taking these risks that, and being aware and doing this self-reflective work that they weren't able to do in their time. You know, and I think that's also the beginning of the Mother's Day retreats, like giving the moms a time to slow down and 
reflect and, you know, listen to themselves as well. And that's where I think, you know, you're talking about like the sort of permission to have that self inquiry. And I wouldn't sort of be so nice to myself on that one. I feel like it's more of like the, was it Anais Nin who said, and the day came when the risk to remain tight in a bud was more painful than the risk it took to blossom. And so I feel like it was just like, all right, you know, this little container, this tight little bud that I am in is not enough. And so it's like, I actually have to blossom. And, and what does that really mean? Um, and so what advice would you give folks now, like having, you know, been through not just these two Mother's Day retreats, but, you know, for anyone who is in this sort of self-inquiry and no longer sort of sees the tight bud they're in as like serving them and is painful. And so what does it mean to blossom? Ooh, that is an epic question. What does it mean to blossom? I think right now where I am is to take your time. You know, if you had asked me two years ago, I would have had a like a 10, 10 point plan <laughs> for people. <laughs> and now I think that what I've learned from the wisdom of my matrilineal line is that self-acceptance self-accept- and compassion and kindness those really are the foundations to healing, right? Even just for myself that I can give myself unconditional regard in the same way that my three mother figures gave me is such a profound turning for myself as a a recovering perfectionist, recovering overachiever that yeah, that it doesn't look a certain way and it doesn't have a specific timeline and that even just the ability to listen and be still, that's that's the win. So I, I'm like on a quote run right now. So, um, so this, like, as you're talking about, like, take your time. And earlier this week, I was um, looking at my daughter's homework. And she's studying sort of, I guess, China right now as part of her history class. And she's studying Taoism. Uh, and so she shows me her homework and it says, this is from the Tao Te Ching, nature does not hurry, yet everything is accomplished. And now I'm going to read what she wrote as, because I guess she had to <laughs> um, interpret and explain what that quote means. And she wrote, this quote means that nature is infinite. So it has all the time in the world. It also might show nature's superiority. (laughs) And so, I mean, she's 11. um, is a humble brag dad moment. But like, I think that um, it was just amazing that she saw that what does it look like when we feel like we actually have infinite time? That we don't need to hurry, right? And maybe that's, the pain that the bud feels is that we feel like we're running out of time. And so then it's like, Oh, I've got to do this now. Or we don't take the time, you know, to allow ourselves to grow because we feel like, Oh no, I don't have the time to do this. Um, And so I just, your, your sharing of what does it mean to like invite some silence? What does it mean to invite some time? What does it mean to sort of invite a little bit of groundedness and laying on the ground, literally, 
um, and and not actually having to do more than that. Right? I feel like maybe that's part of the problem sometimes is that we think of self care as like, oh, I've got to do this, right? And we're guilty of this. We talk about, you know, I talk about habit is everything that we do on default and practice is what disrupts habit. And so it's all about disrupting and, and, and maybe sometimes it's really about giving ourselves permission to do absolutely nothing. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, one of the things I do carry forward is I still, um, I consult on organizational development and I was on a project with, um, this queer forest here in the Bay and healing space. And we were talking about, <laughs> wait, sorry. What's a queer forest? Um, a queer forest is a land project ran by uh, queer trans people of color. So okay. Like, it's not that the forest is. <laughs> the, I, I actually think forests and nature is, are, it's very queer. Um, and that, you know, rock on. I just wanted to, <laughs> you, you threw that in there and I just wanted to make sure we, Acknowledge what it is. What so is a thank queer you. Forest? Yes, for sure. But, um, you know, in that space, we were talking about what is nature's time versus human time. And, you know, when you're talking about the choice or like the urgency behind blooming, it's like, who, where does that sense of urgency come from? Right. Because I think a lot of times that metaphor of a butterfly is used. But I don't, my sense, my wisdom is saying that when the butterfly is escaping from its chrysalis, it's not like, oh, I have, I have 30 minutes to turn in my chrysalis before it's, before I have to pay a late fee, (laughs) right? Or, or, you know, the winds are expecting my wings to fly in an hour. And if I don't catch it, that I won't become this butterfly, (laughs) right? That there is, I think there's such a, humanness about the sense of urgency um even within the healing space that nature is i I feel like your daughter is such a badass for her (laughs) but nature is infinite and um it it moves in not even generational scale but truly in this like infinite ever evolving ever changing pace um that is beyond our conception and how do we actually feel into that for ourselves, I think, is my practice now, really trying to connect my healing with the healing of the land and healing of my body and connecting it with intergenerational movements and family members. This is the time where I love, this is the fun part about having these spaces um, live is, would love for you to share um, an inc- an inquiry or an intention right now, Raj, as we think about this theme of maternal growth and healing. If there's a particular question you have and um, would love to pick a card uh, live with you and, and see what the earth wisdom tells us. Yeah. Thanks, B. You know, I think the thing that's coming up to me right now is that Love is truly so expansive and not bound by time. And my inquiry right now is how can I embody that more today? So I have the physical 39 card deck in my hand. I am going to slowly flash them in front of you. And you just tell me when to stop. 
as I fan them out here. That one. You see that one that's like poking out? This one. Ooh. What's the card for this juicy question? Harmony and balance represented by the geranium. And is that card number 30? It is card number 30. Oh, man, I'm getting good. So, Raj, <laughs> what what is what comes up for you before we even hear the prompt? I think there's something there around, you know, being culturally Filipino that harmony and balance is such a value in my family. And, and I'm feeling into the different ways and trying to accept the different ways that my family does that or seeks that. One example is, you know, I am the American cousin, American child, and I might be a little bit more proactive or direct about the ways I find harmony and balance. You know, I'm like, hey, family, can we can we get some direct communication going on around here? (laughs) You're talking to an Asian, two Asian culture people here, so direct communications about feelings wait what right um not always the best received does not always create harmony and balance and that you know the more um subversive ways that my family really pays attention to each other and um kind of manages themselves to create harmony and how we spend time and energy with each other that there's something about those two things coexisting that I want to feel more into. So the prompt uh, for this card, the number 30 geranium harmony and balance is, can you see the harmony that arises from making peace with your choices? And so what, what, what comes up for you with that prompt? As an American cousin in my family, um, as some of my family might see me as kind of a, world traveling wild child of sorts that I do have to come into some peace around embracing the decisions that I've made to live my life in a way that feels very countercultural to my family and also embracing the ways that I've also opened up new possibilities for them and opening myself up to the ways that my family can also teach me love through practice and embodiment in their own way, that there's, there's so much wisdom in all the ways that we show up for each other that I can learn from. Hmm. Thank you. Well, it's been wonderful to have this conversation with you. I appreciate you joining us. Thank you, Omar. Thank you, Belinda. Thank you for taking the time to reflect with us, Raj, and inspiring our listeners just around this journey of connecting with our maternal relationships. And so, you know, in our podcast tradition, I am going to just offer a practice of appreciating a maternal figure in our lives. So I invite you to just take a couple deep breaths and connecting in with your heart. And if it's helpful, you could even just put a hand gently to your heart. And just allow your heart to guide you towards a maternal figure in your life. It could be someone that's here in present time or someone that has even transitioned into the spirit world. 
And just hold that person in your heart as they come to you. And what is it that you appreciate and admire about that figure? You can even think of a gratitude blooming card theme if that's helpful. Just letting, allowing the words or the feeling to come around that appreciation. And if you can, take some time to express it, either through sharing it in a card, a text, phone call, or lighting a candle for the spirit of that maternal figure, just to really honor the life that the feminine and the maternal gives the world. Thank you, Belinda, for this beautiful practice. Thank you, Raj, for joining us today. And do we have a discount code for Mother's Day, Belinda? We do. We're so bad at advertising our card decks. Um, so we have a Mother's Day special, Mom 15, to give you take an additional 15% off. I invite you to take advantage of our bulk card orders. They're just $15 per card deck if you, for a minimum order, 15 cards. Uh, which is an excellent deal. And you can even get that 15% off with the mom code. Um, and it's really fun to do this practice uh, with the loved ones and with everyone having their own card deck and they can literally pick cards even to say thank you. I, I've now been doing this tradition with my mom for a couple of years with my family. And it's so fun to see my dad <laughs> going through the cards and trying to think of what he what gratitude he has for my mom. And I swear I've learned so much about my dad through witnessing this practice. You know, I feel like a couple years ago, he, he picked the forgiveness card as a way to say thank you to my mom for all the times that he, uh, he, you know, when he lost his temper and she would just be so graceful with him. And that is definitely not something that would naturally come up in our family conversation. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Please like, subscribe, follow. We appreciate you and make sure you send some appreciation to that mother figure in your life. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.